Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. Welcome to another episode of the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis. Today I'm speaking to Greg Harrison, Associate Director of Professional Indemnity at Howden Insurance Brokers. PI is on everybody's mind at the moment because premiums seem to have doubled. We're all a bit worried about how we're going to get cover going forward. And I was really pleased that RICS held a webinar recently on PI, the background and what might happen in the future. I've included a link to that in the show notes. But I felt it was important that we actually ask some more questions specifically about residential. So we had a poll in uh, the Surveyor Hub group of some of the questions that we really wanted to um, to ask. And I put some of those to Greg. I hope you find this useful. As ever, we'd love your feedback. So do keep in touch. Thanks. So, Greg, fantastic to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who have no idea who you are, could you tell us a bit about what you do and your work? Yes. So I work for Howden Insurance Brokers. Howden are a professional indemnity broker. Well, Howden deal across the full spectrum of insurances, but I myself sit in the professional indemnity team. Pretty much everything that I do on a day-to-day basis is in some way related to the surveying profession, more so than others. And breaking that down further, valuation work, I find myself in and amongst. I think that's because that's where a lot of the issues have hit the market over the years. Probably, I uh, have an inkling that that's what we're going to be talking about a lot <laughs> in this talk here. Um, yeah, I do a lot with RICS. I sit on various groups, cross-industry resi valuation forum, its commercial counterpart, and a couple of uh, leaders forums that have been instilled into RICS in the last year or so. So that's me in a nutshell. And RIS, um, Howden's are the, um, are you the preferred or the... Yes. Uh... Yeah, so Howden are the RICS preferred broker for professional indemnity and cyber liability. And this will be, I think I'm right in saying, our 10th year this year. So it's a bit of a milestone. Wow. Okay. It's funny because whenever anyone says Howden, mm. <laughs> uh, I always think of House and Kitchens, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, the, the many calls I've made. and some I was going to say, have you been asked to fit a kitchen? My kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes those discussions are much easier to have. Yeah, do you know, uh, and Blue Box as well. There's a, a packaging company called Blue Box. So <laughs> whenever right. anyone blue, um, uh, Googles Blue Box, the packaging firms come out. Right then, so we, I wanted to ask you some questions today about PI. As you know, because uh, we, we've had a, an earlier um, exchange on, on emails, surveyors actually are quite scared right now about PI. 
and what's mm-hmm. happening to the market, what will happen in the future. And there's been a great webinar that RICS have held. Um, I'm going to try and put a link in the notes. If it's not there, you can go on to the RICS website and have a look where you can watch it for again for, for free. And you might have to register, but you should be able to watch it. And it was a really useful overview as to what PI is, what ARP is, and the kind of things that you can do. But that's for RICS as a whole, whereas my surveyors are interested in residential valuation and survey. And so sure. within the hub, we had a conversation, we had a bit of a poll and had some questions. And I want to put some of those to you, if that's okay, so we can try and get some answers. But as I said, surveyors are actually really scared right now of well, let's face it, we're all a bit scared about what's going to happen in the world mm-hmm. and what's going to happen to our businesses. But PI renewal is probably the biggest, I was going to say pain in the butt, but I mean, I mean that in a, in a, in a necessary nice way. Evil. Necessary a necessary evil. evil. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> because we need to have it so that we can operate. We know sort of the, the reasons why, but it can be really, really difficult to get PI. Why is that? Yeah. It's never been easy for professionals acting in activities that are deemed higher risk. And I immediately go to valuation, particularly for secured lending. But where we're at today, it's an, it's an accumulation of several factors, which ultimately all comes down to market uncertainty. The insurance market for surveyors probably started to become more nervous following the referendum and Brexit with a fear of seeing another wave of claims against valuers. That was when things, well, that's certainly when we started to get more questions from insurers because they essentially think that they're going to see another result of another property downturn. But the market really started to become challenging following the Lloyd's review in 2018. I don't know how much detail you want me to go into that. Actually, would it be helpful if I just put a Yeah, a that would, yeah. Together? So essentially, Lloyd's essentially undertook a performance management review of its syndicates across the whole market. It's not just surveyors. It captured all manner of professional services firms. Uh, performance reviews are done every year. And in 2018, it showed that falling profit levels were at record lows. So to put simply, Lloyd's reviewed the bottom performing 10% of each syndicate's portfolio and required remediation plans to show how unprofitable business is going to be turned around and if they can't, to plan their exit strategy from, for writing that class of business, which, as I said earlier, is unfortunate that a lot of that focus is valuation work for secured lending. So there was two key messages. Growth is secondary to performance, and that there's no obligation to write new business for the sake of premium income. And any new business underwritten, particularly in areas that are deemed more volatile, has got to be wholeheartedly justified. I mean, that's always been the case, but ever more now is it so important. And because claims activity and valuation is shown to be one of the more volatile areas, it remains to be an area of focus more so than others. And now, unfortunately, the situation with COVID-19 has brought more questions to the table. Yeah, it's a tricky time. And you're absolutely right. It's all about uncertainty. And when I think back, so my background, for those that don't know, is in valuation and debt claims. Although as a surveyor, I spent more time dealing with those when mm. I worked for a, for a corporate. And I think a lot of people forget not just how bad the claims were in terms of volume back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, mm. but actually just how poor the valuation was back mm. then. And the working practices that we had, you know, yeah. um, I'll admit when I started back in the day, it was a printout from the Quest 
of comps and then you get there with a highlighter and said one, two, three, they're all the same until I learned how to do it properly, obviously. Uh, but it was easy to be lax. It was easy to lose the paperwork. There were comps that people would put on the system. And if I knew that surveyor, I'd think, no, I ain't going to trust that. Yeah. So auditing and those kind of things were really important, but it was quite last. And then, so when the claims came through, we used to call them confetti letters because they came yeah. through too fast. There was that many. And actually a lot of them, firms, not just the firm that I used to work for, but across the whole board, there were gaps and weaknesses. Now, we've really tightened up since then. Back then, we didn't have right move and their surveyor comparable tool. And that is only a tool. I always remind people, it's not a valuation, it's a tool (laughs) that you use to find your comps. But what's really important is the analysis and the narratives that you put around that of why you're choosing those comps, why you're choosing those comps in relation to the subject property. And that's the bit that whenever I dealt with a claim always gave me confidence that showed that the surveyor had had thought about it. But technology's really moved forward, but I'm not aware... You know, the, the SCT, if you like, has been tested in court. And I wonder how yeah. much that would help with confidence compared to back in the day. Well, I completely agree with you. There, there is much to be said that claims as a result, you know, if we were to see a new property downturn, that claims would not escalate to the level we saw back then, over just over a decade ago now, is my own personal view. And, and I think that's not least thanks to things like the positive legal reforms brought in by uh, Lord Justice Jackson, which I think was in 2013. The evolving role of the panel manager, which is often adding another layer of audit and risk control and support to panel firms. And to your point, the capabilities and use of technology in the valuation process, that's significantly changed. And I think we can reasonably regard the use of technology in today's world will undoubtedly aid in the defense of claims that wasn't so available, if at all, 10 years ago. As to your point, again, it's a situation that we are commonly reminded by insurers that, you know, that's all great and they get it. But until such time when it can be proven, these tools can be proven to aid in the defense of a claim, they have to look retrospectively at the experience largely as a result of what come out of the downturn until they can change their their underwriting criteria, if you like. Yeah, I guess it's the... You know, the, sort of the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Yeah. You know, that has what we've done been enough to instill confidence? And I think for a lot of surveyors, those dark days back then are still etched in our minds. And there's a lot of surveyors who've joined the industry since then and have never had a claim and might be thinking, yeah, really? Did it really get that bad? And actually, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. It was horrible. Yeah. yeah. That's why most of us, I guess, worry about that kind of thing happening again but who knew a virus like this would take over the world and we'd stop talking about brexit for once <laughs> um, you know but you mentioned there you know the way that sort of insurers view sort of secured lending and one of the questions that we had in from people in the hub was about dr una mcdonald's report mm. balancing risk and reward recommendations for a sustainable valuation profession in the uk so has yeah. that had an impact Well, that report set out recommendations and raised awareness to the key issues in almost every aspect of the valuation market at that time, which was what, 2013, 14, I believe? Yeah. That would have certainly assisted in an improved risk landscape in the survey and valuation market, which I think you can glean, we believe, is a far better place now for insurers than it ever has been. The the Dr. Una McDonald report itself 
because it raised a lot of the issues that was present at the time and the recommendations for change, how much help it is to give insurers the right positive messages of all the very good measures that have been implemented in the industry since then. But certainly, as I say, it raised a lot of very important awareness around much needed change, which I think contributed very positively. So some of the questions that the hubbers, as I call them, have asked. <laughs> so there were things like premiums. So premiums have risen despite no claims. And I guess that's because of just the hardening of the market in general. Yeah. And the evaluation work itself has always been an area of focus. It's deemed to be an area that's unpredictable and susceptible to to fast changes and dependent on market conditions performing well. So insurers are looking to reduce, well, they're looking to reduce their exposure in volatile areas where they can. Uh, Capacity has been withdrawn and they have to, as I mentioned earlier, they have to justify the cases that they take on that much more now. Insurers are looking to reduce or eliminate altogether any exposure to claims relating to fire safety and cladding. So activities such as building surveying, project management and design related services are also now much more of a focus point and will have effects on the premium outcome. One of the things that was mentioned on the RICS webinar was the number of people who are stepping away from valuation and you've got your building surveyors who do valuation. And we're seeing that in the hub as well. People saying, do you know mm. what, I'm going to move away from, from valuation. It's difficult right now trying to work out what things are valued at um, with the the uncertainty but also it's then affecting premiums and one of the things the webinar talked about was that which I hadn't registered in my my brain was things like property management and lettings uh, particularly if you're a surveyor and, and the fact that that could affect premiums so is it that for surveyors the split of the work that they do I mean is there a particular percentage if you do 30 percent valuation 30 percent management 30% something else does that make a difference to the premium is there a a sweet spot perhaps of of the kind of work that people can do or is it just a case of when they put in their um uh, put in their return that Mm. they sort of just make it really clear and as detailed as possible what they're actually doing it's a difficult one because premiums are generally calculated using a a model which applies a, a premium rate to each discipline that the the firm undertakes and the premium rate will be a percentage of the firm's total turnover. So in regards to whether or not it's beneficial for a firm to, well, if I can use the term, spread themselves more thinly across various service lines, it's a difficult one because there's an argument for both in the sense of to be a specialist or or, or to be a, a you know a jack of all trades, if you like. Ultimately, insurers are going to want to see that any business is operating in specialisms that are understood and that the individuals undertaking the work have the relevant expertise and knowledge to carry out the work effectively. That's what's going to really make the difference. So the way that they can explain what they're doing and the insight into the business and how the business is run and the procedures and all of that, I guess, sort of adds to confidence, doesn't it, as to what the what the surveying firm is um, uh, is doing. Yeah, um, you completely. mentioned premiums. We've had a few examples that people have sent uh, in to me of, quite frankly, some ridiculous premiums in terms of jump. So I think one went from 45,000 a year to over a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, one was, I think from about four grand to nine grand. Our own at Blue Box doubled. We're a training provider. We have a few older cases that we've done that are just in the, I think it's about three or four years runoff that we've got left, but we don't have any any evaluation or survey work now, purely training and, and, and coaching. But even ours doubles. 
when when the chat messaged me to say that his premium had doubled to over a hundred thousand, I was just like, how can you even be in business anymore? That's is it even worth it? One of the hardest things for us as brokers to do in this market is to be able to manage our clients' expectations to the level that is required. I don't think anybody in the market, you know, we as brokers and you know, a large majority of insurers, underwriters in the market has ever seen market conditions quite like they are today. I remember when the market first started to uh, to harden, a chap in the office said to me, Greg, the younger guys are really going to have to get their head around this. And not long after that, I said, you know what, I was wrong. Everybody's going to have to get their head around this. And then in support to that, a chap in London market insurer noted that in his 30, 35 years of underwriting PII in the UK, he cannot recall a time where conditions were so challenging. And, and you know, that is, it's, it is all quite scary stuff to hear. And, you know, particularly when, uh, as I say, few people, if any, have actually seen conditions as, as they are. Premium rates have gone up significantly and they have seemingly not stopped doing so yet. Um, you know, we've seen further restrictions in cover. Uh, you heard in your webinar earlier that the RSCS is having to respond appropriately uh, by making more flexible terms in their, in their minimum requirements in order to um, support insurers to, to essentially remain in the market. So it is very difficult. And there is not one size or type of firm that is not being hit by the current conditions. And it's not just surveyors. It is across the full spectrum of professional services. Mm. That doesn't make anyone feel any better. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And, and um, yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and that's what's so hard. We as brokers, when we go into the market, we will always naturally look to get the, the best outcome, irrespective of whatever conditions we're up against. And the end result is often always more positive than the first outcome that you were potentially looking at when the renewal negotiations with insurers begin. But in the end, it's still not a good result because, you know, the premiums have gone up, as I say, significantly. I certainly have sympathy to that. When we were looking at PI, is we were told not to go to an alternative broker to see if they Mm. could get us a better deal. And it was explained to me that because we had filled up the paperwork, it'd been presented, that if we'd been to, went to someone else, they'd see that we were shopping around and that wasn't a good thing. Is that true? I think that that advice can be abused in some ways. I mean, firms can certainly use other brokers to test against their existing. However, the reasons why and the decision to which broker or brokers you intend to use has to be considered very carefully. In this market, the pool of insurers is not, well, it's smaller than it's ever been. And so firms need to consider whether there is room for more than one broker in the market at any one time. And if a firm does choose to use more than one broker, then it can't just be about premium anymore. It has to be much more than that. Historically, when the market has been reasonably soft, you know, most brokers, if not all, would be quite capable of going into the market and obtaining some reasonable renewal terms. However, Things are much different now. And the type of questions that I would look to firms to ask themselves would be, does the current or alternative broker that you're looking to use understand the business and the inherent risks? 
What is their respective involvement in your sector, survey and valuation? And what is the outcome you're after? And how is the broker proposing to reach it? And importantly, what's the broker's market access? Some are direct into Lloyd's. And where the broker hasn't got Lloyd's accreditation, they'll have to go through another broker to go into the market. And that will be a really important consideration to have. And I guess what we don't know is the relationship the broker has in the background with all of the different people and insurers and, and, and how it all works. One thing that really struck me with our provider, who we won't be using again next year, was actually just the really poor service. And as we were going through the application, it took a long time for them to come back to us. You know, we started chasing up a good six to eight weeks before to right. say, you know, can we get on? Can we get on? And it was like, yeah, we're waiting for them to come back. Yeah, we're waiting for them to come back, you know, for a renewal before we go out. And I think one thing for surveys to be aware of is you need to have somebody that you can talk to and that you have a good relationship with in terms of your broker, because ours didn't at all. Um, I think I think I had emails from six different people rather than one one good relationship. And so I then phoned round and spoke to others to see what would happen. Could we go somewhere else? And they explained, because it was getting late in the day, probably best not, which I understood. What struck me was the different levels of service across the, the board from different brokers. So for any surveyors out there, it's important you've got a good relationship with these these people, with these people. And, <laughs> um, and so that you can, you know, they can help you get the best deal, but also help you provide the right information that's useful. You know, it's a two-way thing. One of, yeah. one of the um, challenging conversations I had with, with our broker was that we'd got to a point and I said, so if we don't have PI, that means that we might drop into ARP, uh, the risk pool. And they said, yeah. And I said, you know, we're not a bad company. We, you know, we haven't got lots of problems you know we're a simple small fry company in the in the scheme of things and didn't really think that that was a problem now on the webinar I asked a question about ARP because I know a lot of surveyors and actually some of the brokers that I spoke to saw it as a stigma that if you've dropped into ARP and and for those that who haven't seen the webinar or don't know it's basically the backup plan or survey or was the backup plan for space who had lots of claims to make sure that consumers were protected yeah position of last resort as it it was referred to yeah 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 so there's always that stigma but they sort of went to lengths on the the call so that actually you know there's lots of good firms that are just unlucky in the market and that they can't get insurance the first time I heard that there was some form of stigma to the ARP was today in that webinar. My own personal experience of dealing with firms that are in the ARP has always been to try and get them back out into the open market. On too many occasions over the years, firms that have been in the ARP are firms that should never have been in there in the first place. So it wasn't through any reasons because of a deterioration in their risk profile. It wasn't because of higher claims activity. It was because the lack of insurance availability, as said in the webinar earlier. And there have been too many occasions where, to your point, that firms have been with ill-equipped broker, where they didn't have the necessary expertise in the client sector wasn't sure about what information to provide insurers and in the end wasn't able to produce the most optimum outcome or any outcome with that said, which led to going and having to go into the assigned risk pool. And 
the chances are is that for a lot of those firms, as I mentioned earlier, it was because the information wasn't given to insurers, certainly in a positive, in the most positive light, in addition to what the proposal form asks for. I think the insurer in the RSS webinar this morning hit the nail on the head when she said that the proposal form, whilst it's very comprehensive in the information it provides, it doesn't easily distinguish from one firm to another. And that's why I've always been a huge advocate in getting more information beyond which a proposal form can provide to avoid instances where an insurer has declined to offer renewal terms that would have otherwise offered terms with the benefit of better supported information. So it sounds like, you know, having a good relationship with your broker, you know them, they know you, making sure that they know what they're talking about yeah. so that there isn't any, anything that might uh, sort of fall through the cracks uh, yeah. is actually a good place to start. A good relationship is a good place to start to get in good, good cover. You know, that's even before you've even gone out to the insurers. And, yeah. you know, that makes sense. And it comes down to people. I think the some of the challenges some of the surveyors ha- have had is that they've been with their insurers and brokers for a long, long time until the yeah. first blip they've had in 15 or 30 years or whatever. But I guess... Yeah. If that's the case, then that's the market. At least you yeah. know the, the people that you're that you're working with. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, you know as as someone that ha- looks after clients myself, you know, you would always hope that your clients give you, you know, the first chance of proving yourself in in a very difficult market. You know, that's ultimately why you'd hope that they appointed you in the first place because they they have that faith in you. But you're right. I mean, for too long, it has been, well, not for too long, but for a long time, it has been a soft market. And, you know, most brokers will be able to go into the market and obtain some form of reasonable terms. But it's in a hard market, like the conditions we're in today, is when the expertise and the knowledge of the brokers that will really come to the fore. It's it's so important that firms are talking to brokers that completely get the business that they're in, understand the inherent risks and how the business themselves, what measures they've got that they've implemented in order to be a a profitable risk to insurers ultimately. And how far do you go in giving information to the broker and insurers? So I can understand giving them information on the kind of work that you do, your internal processes, your risk and audit. Mm. But do you perhaps need to give them a business plan? You know, how you're going to budget to pay for for the insurance? And, you know, do you need to go into that level of detail? What comes to mind for me is that we've got these firms now who've got a lot of money to pay. And actually, whilst they need to be earning, mm. it's quite difficult right now. They've also got to be having, having some good business plans where they're squirreling pots of money away, you know, yeah. to budget and, and pay. So do you need that level of detail? Well, the kind of detail that insurers are looking for, ultimately, they want to understand how that firm will manage risk. There could be contractual provisions that the firm can implement to try and cap liability where possible. Um, So how does the business look to apply liability caps? What levels of oversight are available internally and equally what controls and auditing is cascaded down from third party partners? You know, from consultants, or I spoke about the evolving role of the panel manager over the years. What does the panel manager provide in terms of the audit and controls that can cascade down into them that they can provide to insurers for additional comfort? And to your point earlier, how is technology used and how does the firm themselves consider its benefit to risk? 
who are the people behind the business, what's their involvement in RICS, qualifications, what initiatives and industry groups are the individuals part of, what's the relationship with the banks, what do they know about their lender clients, average loan-to-value ratios, type of loans that's being lent on if they're in high-risk activities, or at least what the insurers deem to be high-risk activities in, say, like short-term lending or whatever the case may be. Insurers will look at the clients to provide more comfort around any measures that they implement that go above what they would normally do for lesser risk activities, if that makes sense. A lot of the information that we provide insurers might be just expanded information that's already in the proposal form. It's to the insurer's point earlier, a proposal form, it's very difficult to distinguish a firm's you know, values, beliefs, its culture, because it's, it's very uniformed questions. It's their set questions. But even so much as a separate front letter to act as a supporting addendum to the proposal form can make all the difference as a first impression to insurers. And this is what uh, we would advise firms to try and implement approaching renewals. Great stuff. And the last question that I've got on here was, what is the latest position on runoff cover? Runoff. So changes to RSS runoff cover in the UK was implemented last year in 2019. The new policy mandates that insurers provide £1 million aggregate limit for consumer claims, which, as I say, is included automatically as part of the minimum wording. Firms can obtain runoff for longer periods than six years if they feel it's needed or high levels of cover. But importantly, there's no automatic cover for non-consumer claims. So that would be your lender clients and other businesses. Firms would be expected to obtain runoff cover for this work still. It's only consumer claims where insurers will provide that one million ad cover for the six years. Some surveyors have started to talk about offering remote consultancy virtual surveys, video call consultancy advice to their clients. Any thoughts on that? I mean, I had a thought so long as the the terms were there, the scope of the instruction, you know, was clear. Any sounding from insurers as to the risk of that at the moment? The, the, The best advice to give would be for any activities that is considered new and possibly outside of what is normally expected for an RICS member to carry out, should be consulted with their broker. And then the broker, if they feel it necessary, can then just speak to the insurer and have that activity noted as covered under the policy. Even if you think it's probably an overcautious measure to take, I think in this market, it would be much better for firms to do that than to assume that it's covered. Yeah, because it's going to be interesting times going forward, isn't it, to see how the world of surveying changes you know, as much as as everything else as to how we can give give people property advice. So um, I think a a watching brief on on some of that. But yeah, you're right. Speak to your broker and to the insurer to at least let them know what you're doing and they can advise you from there. Yeah, absolutely. And then the broker can advise whether or not they feel it's appropriate to give insurers the heads up. Yeah, that's been really useful, Greg. There's lots of hints and tips and that you've mentioned there and things the hubbers can take away. Is there anything else that you want to add in as a round off that we think you should be doing? Just a couple of points that I think it's it's nothing complex. It's the, the best 
bit of advice that I could give any firm approaching their PI renewal in the next six months or however long we're up against these hard market conditions is to start the process as early as possible. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I commonly would have said eight weeks, I would say 12 weeks before expiry of the current policy. If you haven't heard from the broker, then pick the phone up to them. And equally, your broker should have as much time in the market undertaking the negotiations and discussions with insurers as much as possible, no less than four weeks, ideally. Insurers are asking a lot more questions. There's a lot more referral processes to get sign-off once the answers have been given. So time is king. There's as much time as possible at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. Greg, it's been really good to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the show. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com.